Welcome back, friends, nerds, librarians, and all you ilk to episode 28 of the SS Librarianship Podcast. Yeah, we've got a fun one for you today. Yeah, we're on video games again, guys. Yeah, we delve right back into video games. <laughs> to be honest with you, with the background I've got, I did not think we were going to be talking about video games as much as we have on this show in our first 28, but man, it's been really fun. My evil plan is complete. <laughs> Everyone will be gamers if I die trying. <laughs> Uh, so today, our classmate and friend Mitchell is on the show with us, and uh, he wanted to talk about sort of video games as narrative. Yeah, which is a really cool idea, sort of, because um, I mean, for the last, oh, I don't know, 100 years or so, the novel has been sort of the big narrative form. Mm. Films are also like a big studied narrative form, and it's just starting to be the case that um, that video games are studied and looked at from a narrative form structure place. Yeah, and in the case of libraries, incorporating them into things like reader's advisory or e-reading or mm -hmm. things like that are still, it's still very new. And so yeah. that's something we talk about too, not just games as a storytelling device, but also the storytelling devices within games. Yeah, right? exactly. Which is interesting too. And, you know, and games as a medium that sometimes is a little challenging just because of the community surrounding it and um, challenging in such a way that, um, you know, the portrayal of, of women and the representation of queer people and all that stuff can, mm -hmm. can get a little complicated in games. And, and it's um, something that I think is changing, but I don't think it's um, maybe changing as quickly as it should. Yeah, yeah, and maybe not being as talked about as openly as it should, although that's certainly improving. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, so in Mind Grapes today, in addition to talking about uh, some live poetry performance uh, <laughs> and some Veronica Mars, we also get into a little bit of representation in video games because mm -hmm. Mitchell tells us a bit more about um, Dragon Age and some related games as well. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I guess yeah. we should get started. All right, I guess we should. Well, I'm Ali Sullivan, and what's a giant eye going to do? Wink you to death? And I'm Sam Mills, and. I prefer to read rather than engage in what do humans call it? Short talk. <laughs> so, Allie, mm. what's on your mind grapes this week? Well, uh, this week you've actually contributed to my mind grapes. Yay. <laughs> Which is uh, not unusual, actually. <laughs> um, so... As kind of the the journeyman geek that I am, I like to have my my fandoms in in many different areas and there's one big fandom that has been getting a lot of heat recently that I kind of feel that I've been missing out on mm -hmm. and uh that is the Veronica Mars fandom yay <laughs> yay in the context of season one and maybe most of season two okay well <laughs> I haven't gone that far yet <laughs> no uh so I've just started season one I'm about halfway through it and um I have some feelings I have some thoughts. Um, I feel like I was I was kind of the the generation at which this particular show was aimed. You know, like it was coming out in the early two thousands when I was in my teenage years, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it's it stars teenage characters, high school kids, and and all this stuff. And I feel like had I watched it while it was coming out, I probably would have really really enjoyed it. Yeah. But kind of as a adult human looking back on it, 
I I kind of have just it's it's so unbelievable, uh, <laughs> which is you know a stupid stupid thing to say about a television show because all of these television shows that star teenagers are so the teenagers are so unbelievably smart or athletic or you know there's there's something about mm-hmm. it but especially in this case like. Veronica Mars is, is she's a cool character for sure. She's definitely a kick-ass chick, but like she's just too too good. <laughs> you just know? Too she's so smooth. Mm. She never hits that kind of awkward teenage note that is genuine. Everything she she does feels so calculated. Yeah, some of how they represent how hardened she's become after Lily's murder, like the yeah. setup of the first season is her best friend has been murdered. Um some of that hardness is just represented by like being too cool for school. Yeah. yeah. Which I think on Rob Thomas's part as a creator was partially a wish fulfillment thing. Like the same way that Buffy is stronger than, you know, you would expect from her as a wish fulfillment mm-hmm. thing. Veronica is just too smart and too quippy and too able to say the thing to those dumb kids in your school that you wish you had said. Right? Yeah. And like her, her contacts are ridiculous. As well, like I understand <laughs> she that knows her, a guy who knows a guy. Yeah, like <laughs> it's like who? How do you have time to meet these people? Like you, you are at school, you know, eight hours a day. I mean, her dad having been the sheriff, sort of. Yeah, he was a sheriff. He wasn't like a criminal mastermind. <laughs> like, yeah, the fact that she can get people who, you know, can hack into computers and it's <laughs> hacking. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little it's a little unbelievable for me. Um, but you know, it's it's okay. It's it's a good show. I think I'll keep watching. And uh I, I, I am interested in the murder mystery mm. part of it. What yeah. is your current theory about who killed Lily Kane? <sighs> I think her mother did it. Interesting theory. Yeah, interesting because it's correct. I'm not saying nothing. Ugh, and no Mitchell fun. hasn't seen it, so he can't help you. <laughs> yeah, I have no, I have no idea. I've never, never seen that show. I've heard about it like way, way, way back, a long time ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, kind of like, kind of like with Buffy, it was kind of like one of those things that I missed out on, and now like you can't. It's like hard to get into. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly as yeah. It's, it's a little. I'm, that's exactly the right word for it. It's, I'm finding it a little hard to get into. Mm. Like I'm not being sucked into it as much as I have been with with other shows lately. And it's kind of like it's uh, it's what I'll watch when my Netflix is on the fritz. You know. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, plus DVD is you know such an antiquated medium. At I this know. Point. I have to click through menus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although you have to do that on Netflix too. Never mind. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna edit that part out. <laughs> it's okay. It shows that you're real. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, you'll have to keep us posted. I will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll definitely keep on keeping on with that one. It, it is a good show, despite its kind of unbelievable teenage characters mm-hmm. and 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 teenagers in unbelievable situations. Well, and the hyper realness of how wealthy so many of the children on that show are yeah. makes it a little crazy too. Like Veronica and well, her dad are very sort of lower middle class, but everyone else in her school is just Well, everyone else in the school either seems to be like ridiculously wealthy or dirt poor. Mm-hmm. Like there is no kind of middle segment Which is of actually that probably school. a good, pretty good representation representation of those kinds of neighborhoods, right? Because it's mm-hmm. set in this very kind of Beverly Hills style. Would you say that Clueless is more realistic yes. than Veronica? <laughs> well, you know, not realistic. 
fantastic. Allie, what's your take? <laughs> oh, man. Well, Clueless is, I think, Clueless in a way is almost a little more realistic because those, those I mean, share. The kids in that movie are stupid. They are stupid. They, they are. do stupid things. And, like, they are awkward. I mean, like, like she's also super, super stylish. But, like, you know, she she also has some awkward feelings and, and deals with those. Whereas Although she's still... You know, very literate like you know. yeah well she is she is technically a jane austen character that's true yeah so. you do have to keep that in and mind and seems to almost be aware of it yeah right? yeah oh that's such a good movie that is a good movie <laughs> i love the yellow plaid suit that's still like i, I still want that outfit yeah. i i want the um rotating closet with yes. the computer oh that you can uh Predict your ensemble. Yeah. Personally, the Paul Rudd living in your house part. Uh, <laughs> Paul Rudd circa 1995 <laughs> living in your house part. I'll take that. <laughs> That's true. Earlier than that, right? Like 1992, 95? 93? No, I think it was 95. Okay. Yeah. Was it? I think it was 95. So it was almost 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Yeah, Paul Rudd is in his 40s now. Yeah. Still looks gorgeous, but you know. Oh, but he was so beautiful in that I'm movie. just glad that he made a comeback. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Speaking of like Paul Rudd and that movie, that was such a shocking sort of like change when he showed up in the first Anchorman movie Mm. and you'd only ever seen him in things like Clueless and the object of my affection and whatever. And you're like, Paul Rudd's funny, (laughs) funny, funny instead of romantic comedy funny. Yeah. It was very strange. (laughs) But I digress. I I think we've I think we've gone off on a tangent, (laughs) uh, which should just mean that we can let's let's just move on. Let's let's go to sign and cosigns. Oh, God. (laughs) That was a math No joke. math talk. And I'm not even a math Get out. student. <laughs> we are recording this on the heels of Pi Day. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So, Mitchell, what about you? What's um, been on your mind grapes lately? I've actually been um, – I recently replayed uh, the Bioware RPG Dragon Age Origins, and I'm halfway through Dragon Age 2 right now. I've always wanted to play those games, but they, they seem kind of like – um, the kind of thing that I could get really obsessed with. So I feel like that's going to be a really good game uh, when school's over in a couple of months and um, I have unemployment on my horizon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to like, yeah, I'm just going to like eat hot dogs and play video games for months yeah, on end. There's some attractive items for your resume. <laughs> I know nothing about Dragon Age, so catch me up. Okay. Um, well, basically, it's it's your typical kind of fantasy RPG game. Um, like dark forces are basically threatening this world, and you're sort of the the voiceless um, protagonist kind of hero who rises up and has to save the world. But um, the really awesome thing about it is, well, for me, is that um, so you get a whole um, really interesting cast of characters to um, travel the world with you and fight at your side and everything. And so you're at the head of the merry band kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. And um, so actually Dragon Age Origins was actually, and this is 2009, which seems like so long ago. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> but it was actually my first like RPG that I actually really got into. Mm. And it's because um, one of the characters is actually queer. Mm. Um, which, is, which was, even in 2009, still pretty unusual yeah, for video games, right? Totally. Um, and I should, I should actually specify that, so he's the only queer male character. 
um, Zevran, the elf assassin, um, who you can romance as both a male and female character. Um, and then there's also two female characters, um, the uh, bard Liliana and the, and I believe the witch Morgan also are romanceable by male and female characters. Hmm. Um, and there's also like some weird, like you can have like, I think with a couple of the characters like Lil- Liliana and Zevran, you can actually have like threesome with them. It's like, it's like okay. really, it's like really um, interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, it was just, it was a really interesting and sort of emotional experience because um, it was kind of, it was really the first game that I actually was able to feel for the characters and I was actually mm-hmm. cared about them. Mm-hmm. Um, Representation is a really powerful thing. Yeah. 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 And like, and it's like, it's really set up as a narrative. So there's, um, there's not really chapters like some games have, but there's definitely like, um, routes that you can go that are sort of set up like chapters. Um, and so at the end, like my, the first time that I played it, I ended up sacrificing my BFF Alistair, um, (laughs) so that I would live that, that particular character was kind of a jerk, but, um, and um, so I have to admit, I cried a little bit Aww. at the end of that. It was, it was hey, pretty sad. Hey, that's a vote in favor of the writing in that game. Yeah, yeah. and the it's actually the head writer, David Gator, is actually um, – I think he I think right now he is the head writer of Bioware. And he is actually – he's gay, mm. and which I think is really cool. He was um, – recently – last summer he was at um, Gamer X, which is the – queer um nerd geek game convention in san francisco that they're having again this summer um and he did a bunch of panels um kind of talking about queer issues in gaming and and writing and that sort of thing that are now on youtube um that they've that they've been posting those um recently so i've been watching those and those are we'll have to remember to link to those yeah they're they're really interesting um but yeah um and then Dragon Age 2, there's a lot of controversy about. Um, and I have to admit that it was not, sadly, it was not the most well, um, completely well-made game. Mm-hmm. A lot of reused assets and levels. Mm. And mm. it was really, it looked really rushed. But it, it had a really good story and it had some really good characters. And they made, like, pretty much all of the characters romanceable by either gender which had a lot of people like either really angry or um, really happy. So, you know, <laughs> we haven't done anything to your choice, but we've given some other people choices. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, <sighs> David Gator even responded to like a privileged white male gamer on the forums who was like, what, like, why are these characters? Like, why is this man hitting on me? Like I, you know, why is this even this option even in my game? Like he even like called it. Not thinking about all of the gamers who when playing male or female characters and getting hit on by characters of the opposite gender are just as uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he had a, David Gator had a really, he did, he, he made a really good, um, response to that nice quippy response. And, um, 
you remember what yeah. he said? No, I can't. Was, this was a, this was a while ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and David Gator brings it up like a lot, and I think because it's a really good example of what a lot of mainstream the mainstream um, gaming community um, like thinks about games, mm-hmm. and this is the same with comic books too. I found was like a lot of. In a lot of fandoms, people are like, this is my my fandom. Like, this is mm-hmm. my character. And any any kind of change to it is, like, impossible. Like, don't yeah. mess with – messing with this character is messing with me or whatever. Yeah. Well, this is – I mean, this is the kind of thing that we see um, This just, like, brings fire into my soul. Um, because, like, the new, the new Annie trailer has just come mm. out as well for the new yeah. Annie movie. And it looks fantastic. But, of course, racists are jumping all over it. Right? Annie yeah. is a white girl with red hair. And <laughs> that's just how it's written. I'm not being racist. That's the character. It's like, now nah, you're being racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, like, yeah, like exactly that kind of idea of, of there's, like, this kind of Casting weird ownership. white British guy after white British guy as, you know, every... Eastern country in the world. Yeah. Totally yeah. Okay. And now they're they're doing like a like a remake of a they're doing like a Peter Pan live action, and um, they've just cast a white girl as uh, Tiger Lily, which oh. is like come on really yeah. Ugh. But anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, just kinda, these just thinking things. about representation and and you know how important it can be mm-hmm. and how frustrating it can be when. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear story after story about how important representation can be to yeah. people, right? You don't understand it until it happens to you and you're like, oh my God, that person is like me. Yeah. And that's an amazing feeling. And you think about all the kids who don't get that. Yeah. And especially um, the portrayal of women in video games is mm. like yeah. such a contentious issue. And it's because in like so many women are portrayed so poorly in video games and even like female writers and then going back to Dragon Age 2, um, one of the lead writers on that game besides David Gator was um, a female and I can't remember her name, um, but she got so much hate mail for, yeah. for writing, you know, a bisexual elf character and like, it was really disgusting and it was really sad. Yeah. And yeah. just shows this just, not only are you an awful person if you're writing someone like yeah. that hate mail, but also you are obviously incapable of self-reflection. Yeah. Like obviously mm-hmm. incapable of thinking if this makes me uncomfortable, then does the opposite of it make someone else uncomfortable? Like, yeah. 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 You know, it's a powerful, I mean, we've talked before on the, on the show about Orange is the New Black. Yeah. And we talked about how boring <laughs> the character of Piper Kerman is in a lot of ways. But yeah, I had a similar experience when I was like, this is a bisexual character that's in a show and she's not being shown as having gone through a phase mm-hmm. or being straight now because she's marrying a dude. She just is bisexual. And that was kind of new. And it was kind mm-hmm. of amazing to see that on the screen. It's a really yeah. important thing to see yourself reflected like that. Yeah. yeah. And um, especially for like Dragon Age and this fantasy world, which is bringing in a bunch of new um, portrayals of um, characters into mainstream media and being able to interact with them. And because um, I'm really interested in looking at video games as interactive narratives also, um, you know, they're not just, they're not just like, 
a ball going back and forth across the screen anymore. <laughs> they're yeah. they're like they have intri- you know as as much as, as much as they can get, but intricate plots and characterizations and mm-hmm. landscapes to to venture through. And um yeah, I think um personally I think video games are the next step in the evolution of the narrative form, but that's just me. And I think nice. we're going to get into that a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, you're right. Along with that comes a responsibility to to tell representative stories the same way that novels or TV shows or mm-hmm. movies are responsible yeah. for that, right? Yeah. 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 Well, what about you, Sam? What have uh, what have you been thinking about? Uh, so I I have I think probably my first or maybe second uh, experience of like going to something live and coming back and talking about it online <laughs> rather than uh, than watching something. You're uh, so cultured. <laughs> so uh, I went a little while ago to um, a UBC Slam event. So the Slam Poetry Club at UBC mm. does these events every once in a while. There's usually um, they usually take place in Benny's Bagels. Okay, yeah, sorry. I'm not 100% sure where that is. I know exactly where where that event was. uh, Anyhow, so they were doing this one in one of the undergrad residences, (laughs) which in itself was a really interesting experience going with two other 30 something women, because we were checking this out on behalf of the library and we just wanted to go into this, you know, basement with twinkling lights strung up and undergrad sitting 10 to a couch and (laughs) maybe a little nostalgic. I was saying to uh, my companions, uh, Aaron and Melanie afterwards that like, they were saying, were we ever like that? Did we ever, were we ever that physically comfortable with our friends and, you know, that loud and whatever? And I was like, you know what? I actually kind of was. Like those few <laughs> years when I was in residence in undergrad was the only time in my life when I was like, quote unquote, a cool kid. And so I was actually mm-hmm. very nostalgic for that period of my life sitting in there. But, uh, but I digress. The performance itself was fantastic. So um, for people who have been to a slam before, how it works is there's usually an open mic piece at the beginning but the slam itself is a contest so they actually have people sprinkled throughout the audience who will be judges and they've always got um they always set it up so that they have sort of a point system so they've got Mm. two sets of cards and they can do like a you know a 9.2 or a 7.5 or whatever which is a really great way of getting around the you don't want to give people low scores, right? Yeah. They're getting up there, they're bearing their souls, they're speaking these poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can do things like, you know, give one person a 9.2 and the next person a 9.6. And it feels good for everyone, <laughs> yeah. but you're still expressing your preference. Yeah. Um, and the MC will usually, you know, shout things like, applaud the poet, not the score, right? So that everyone gets, you know. Um, and during the open mic, you, people get applauded to the stage and back to their seat. So there's never that quiet, weird moment for them, especially mm-hmm. if they're doing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, Often to the Vancouver Slam Club, and they've started this at UBC as well, I guess. This was my first UBC experience. But uh, if it's someone's first time, then the whole room has to yell, please come back after they're done. Right. So it's a very sort of welcoming experience, which is really cool to see. Strikes me a little bit like improv. It yeah. is a little, yeah. 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 You get up there and you do something brave and then people are supportive of that and it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Uh, and the Unless you were... suck at improv. <laughs> <laughs> you none suck, these, you will be booed. None of these people yeah. sucked at slam poetry. They were all pretty good. There were, you know, varying <laughs> degrees of skill and of experience too, but um, it was a huge uh, lineup of people. There were eight people in the open mic and nine in the, in the slam. Oh so we God. were there from eight to like after 11, I think. Jeez. Uh, and there was a break and whatever. But it was so fun. I'm too old for and stuff like that. And it's such like a like an uncensored <laughs> atmosphere. 
Like it's such a liberal sort of say what you feel in the words that make sense to you, not just in the poems, but also the MC will do that and people will shut things out. And it's, um, it's a really comfortable experience for everyone. I think for the most part, um, I've never gotten up at one, so I can't say how comfortable that part is, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, they were great. And for the most part, we're like really young and really articulate and really thoughtful poets. It was awesome. Do you think that you would be comfortable in that environment where you are you are doing your slam poem to a bunch of undergraduates? Yeah, that was that's an interesting question. Because I don't think like I would I would feel much more comfortable doing it to like somewhere like the, the yeah. big place to do slam poetry here in Vancouver is Cafe du Soleil. Yeah, I feel like I would be so much more comfortable nights. there than like mm-hmm. going up at Totem Park. Yes. <laughs> that would, yeah. That sounds like panic inducing. I mean, no, I'm scared. I, I'm scared of youths anyway. But like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> is it wait? So was it mostly youths doing yes. the youths doing <laughs> yeah. the, the poetry? It was by yes. youths for youths. Okay. <laughs> Good thing we have these like windscreens now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought about that a bit because, of course, it's such a, an inspiring environment, right? We mm. were talking about this on the way home. It makes you want to go work on your writing or your yeah. music or mm. whatever after you see people do that. Um, and yeah, I think if this event happens next month at the library, which they're sort of investigating now the possibilities of having a slam event at Kerner Library for um, Poetry Week mm-hmm. or Poetry Month, sorry, in April. And if it was mostly undergrads, I don't know how comfortable I would be. Like I've considered trying it out yeah. before, but I mm-hmm. think I think weirdly the open sort of citywide forum of the Vancouver Slam Club might actually be mm. more comfortable because it's got some adults in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really fun. Um, I highly recommend people check out the medium of slam poetry if you haven't before i'll throw mm-hmm. a couple of my favorites in the in the notes oh yeah um, i saw i saw a really really awesome one recently that was making its rounds on tumblr um that was a girl slamming about her her mother as an aged woman and how her mother is growing in while her father is growing out and it's talking about how like how we as women are taught to grow in to be smaller mm-hmm. to, and it's it's a really interesting um it's a really interesting poem and um, metaphors like that lend themselves so well to the medium of slam because it's not mm-hmm. just straight up poetry it's it's delivered in a very dynamic way and there are certain mm-hmm. speech mm-hmm. patterns and hand movements and whatever that tend to go along with it and a an in out metaphor or a poem that counts up or down in numbers by verses or things like that really lend themselves to that sort of rhythmic delivery. Mm-hmm. Didn't Leslie Nope have a really great quote about slam poetry? <laughs> Probably, yeah. but I don't remember it. We'll have to, I'm going to have to put this. Um, it's something like, yeah. you know, how hard is it to talk like this? Yeah. You know, like that kind of... <laughs> and of course, it's about yeah. the content as well as the delivery, but... Uh, uh, people who are teachers and have been on you know, teacher mailing lists or whatever in the past have probably heard of Taylor Molly. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. Oh, yeah. His no. poem is great. Yeah. He's the um, What Teachers Make guy. That's his big poem that went viral. But he mm-hmm. actually used to be a teacher himself, and he's a champion slam poet, and he teaches slam all over the States. And he has this great poem, which I will link to in the show notes, called What Teachers Make. And it's this anthem for sort of, you know, he was at a dinner party and some guy asked him, be honest, Taylor, what do you make? And then he goes on this tirade about, you know, metaphorically what teachers make yeah. in their work. And it's fantastic. And yeah, it's Mike a beautiful McGee, poem. who's been here in Vancouver at yeah. Cafe de Soleil before, is also incredible and really funny, which is an important thing. And yeah. it has such a serious, you know, tense well, he, medium. He actually did a slam at the Vancouver opening ceremonies. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He's during the actual, guy. during the Olympic opening ceremonies in 2012, there was actually a slam poetry segment and he, he was the <laughs> That's one. That's great. 
Oh. I was in London. Oh. <laughs> I was in Kingston, Ontario. You win. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do. Uh, but yeah, I would highly recommend checking out those events if you're at UBC or, you know, whatever city you're in, find out if there's slam nights in your city. There mm-hmm. probably yeah. are. And don't be scared. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch someone do it and then do one. I love that line from, oh my God, we're referencing Grey's Anatomy so much. Oh but my the, God. But the see one, do one, teach one. Oh my God. Yeah. Is so They're talking about Grey's Anatomy again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll get over it eventually. <laughs> so I guess that's uh, that's our mind grip. So that's all that's all positive suggestions, right? Yeah, well, a sort of a uh, well, maybe you know, check out Veronica Mars well, if you're yeah. a teenager, <laughs> I guess, or if you're mentally a teenager. Don't and- don't rant on the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't rant on the internet about video games, but do check out the original Dragon Age. Yeah. Dragon, and Dragon Age, Age Origins. Yeah. Dragon yeah. Age yeah. Okay. And Dragon Age 3 um, is actually coming out this fall, I believe. Mm. So hop on board um, now. Yeah. Actually, um, the Bioware or the EA um, studio in Vancouver, there is an EA studio in Vancouver. Right. Yeah. Um, they were having um, tests. You could come in and test the game for them. Did you get to do that? No, I was like either had a project due or was out of town every time. Stupid school. I know. (laughs) Gets in the way of so many things. On this week's Where Do We Put This, we're going to actually kind of call back to something that we started discussing in Mind Grapes, but I cut you off because I think that that's a really interesting thing and I think we can make a whole Where Do We Put This about it. Absolutely. So that's kind of the the Where Do We Put This is sort of about the, the video game. We're going back to video games this week. Yay! Yay. Uh, so we're going back to video games and video games as the new narrative form. So, yeah, so this is a, kind of a... All the way, way back to books because... Yeah. Yeah. So tell us where you're where you're coming at this this topic from. Um, it's actually sort of complicated. Um, as uh, I've studied, I have an undergrad in English lit and art history, and then uh, and then my master's <laughs> You're in among English friends lit. Here. <laughs> yeah. Um, Where'd you get your master's from? Uh, University of Oregon. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm applying for a job there. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I I was really inter- I got really interested in looking at video games as narrative um, pieces uh, towards the end of my degree. So I didn't really get to study it that much, um, and so it was really recently I uh, was doing I had to do a paper for um, document design two. And everybody else was doing like pro like like video you know projects or whatever because they didn't want to write a paper. But I was like, I <laughs> welcome was, to Slays, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I procrastinated too long, and so I was like, oh, I can't. I don't. I can't really think of any like project to do. So I'll just write the paper. And um, then uh, one of the um, topics that Rick, the professor, um, listed was the future of the book. And I thought, oh, that was a really interesting idea. But then, like, all of the literature I could really find on that topic was kind of, it was not very academic. It was really, um, some of it was by academics, but it was in very non-academic settings. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it was, like, in literary review yeah. um, kind of um, journals and probably talked more about ebooks. Yeah, as like instead of talking about like the the future of the book as as a medium, talking about the future of the book as an object. Yeah, <laughs> leave it to librarianship to come up with a traditional part of futurism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
So yeah, so it was it was pretty boring. Was, half of my paper was kind of like pointing out how humans are like visual creatures and mm-hmm. trying to assuage the all of the anxiety that all these authors were like, oh no, the future of the book means we're gonna lose all context of actual text and um, there's like this Darth in our educational abilities because people are not being critical of text because we're too visual and whatever. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty ridiculous. So that's bonkers. We're reading more now than we ever have in the history but of also existence. Also, very ever. traditional in sort of publishing and literary criticism and yes. librarianship to some extent. To sort of yeah. oh my god, the future of the book! Quick, run around like a chicken with your head cut yeah. off. So reactionary. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, one of my first loves is video games. And so, and I really, when I look, when I, the video games that I really love are ones that I can get immersed in, not only as like a visual, like a, an interactive world, but an interactive narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I was really kind of thinking about was particularly the Elder Scrolls series, um, which became really, really popular um, a few years ago, back in 2011, with the release of Skyrim, um, mm-hmm. which is the fifth game in the series. And but game three, Morrowind, which is the best RPG video game ever. <laughs> um, and then for Oblivion, um, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's okay. I'm I'm playing that right now as well, and it's kind of it's not as good as Morrowind, but it, it has some. That's some good aspects. Khajiit look freaky in that game. Well, Khajiit look freaky in any game, but... Yeah. They actually anyway. look like they look more like Cats and Morrowind than they do in the other games. Oh, well, that would be good. Uh, yeah. Khajiit are like... Um, well, you know my D&D character? If she was a big cat instead of like a fuzzy ginger cat, this is so nerdy. Um, if she really was like anthropomorphized yeah. jaguars, kind of exactly, yeah. Okay. So yeah, like yeah. jaguars, tigers, more, big cats, yeah. kind yeah, of thing. Big cats. All right. Yeah. Actually, if I if I went on a really nerdy rant, I could really go into because I'm a, I'm like a lore nerd for this. Thing. And there's actually like there's actually like 26 different types of Khajiit oh, in God. the Elder Scrolls series, but you never see them. You never see them in the game. Wow. Wow. I remember hearing people talk about the vastness of Skyrim, but I did not know that there was this much behind oh, it. I, yeah. mean, I could go into a whole big thing, but I, I will spare you. <laughs> um, but uh, so one of the one of the really interesting things about the Elder Scrolls series is that they have this whole set of in-game literature, um, and actually uh, in the fan community, um, especially there's actually a lore subreddit where people actually write their own literature for the series. And one of the big, one of the actual big contributors to the lore is an ex writer from the series who worked on Mar. He worked a little bit on Mar. Well, he worked on Marwind and he, but he worked mostly on red guard, which is a spinoff game from before Marwind. But um, a lot of the lore comes from him and it's basically all out of game text that's not technically official, but it kind of is. And anyway, he kind of he writes all of this really like postmodern, um, out there kind of literature that fits with this world. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I mean, one of the things that I find really interesting is the modding, the mo- the modification capability of the Elder Scrolls games. Mm. Um, cause they're, they usually come with the modding tools. And so, um, a lot of fans 
can insert their texts into the game. And so not only can you read um, the literature, the the lore literature that uh, that is in the games in like there's like bookstores and libraries in these games. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And um but you can insert, you can make your own books to put in the game. Some people I'm for Oblivion actually made a mod where they put like Dracula in, in the game and like <laughs> nice. Frankenstein. Yeah. And does that become part of the world for other players as well? If you uh no well so yeah it's in if, your iteration of the game well you can um yeah you can upload them to a modding like a website that has like the mods on it okay so you can download it and put it into your game if you okay. want to um so yeah and one of the, this really got me thinking about um how how we kind how we can read books in different ways. And can we read? Is is this another? Is this a new, a different kind of future for the book? Is reading a book with a piece of literature within a digital world that is part of like your digital library of video games? Hmm. Um, that was yeah. So I, that's just kind of a, a really interesting way to look at a, a different kind of future of the book besides like a, an ebook on an e-reader. Or um, something like that. And also, yeah. yeah, I mean, but also in a sort of a different way, actually, is in Morrowind, the, um, the dialogue system is actually um, done through hypertext. And oh, neat. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. It's really, a lot of people are like, oh, that's so archaic now. But yeah. for 2002, that was pretty cool. That was pretty, yeah. <laughs> and so it, it has like a, a nav a navigation bar on the side and like the text box in the center and then you click in the nav bar you can click on different topics and it'll bring up the 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 text that you can read and um there'll be highlighted um phrases or words that you can click on and it will lead you to like the next um topic hmm. and you can cycle back. So I mean then so can almost you, like a, a library-like extension on the standard yes. sort of console scrolling through a few options for a conversation thing. Yeah. Right? And I think it's actually way more immersive than a lot of games now where it's just like maybe one like one uh, one or two phrases that you can click on to move the, the dialogue um, further. And mm-hmm. I, I find the tech the tech the reading the text is actually more immersive than and than the dialogue. Like yeah. the, the spoken dialogue too. It's like I can read quicker than I can listen to that that not very good voice actor <laughs> read a script. Hey, isn't Patrick Stewart in Oblivion? He gets killed off in like the first five minutes. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, spoilers for anybody that does the <laughs> that does the tutorial. Liam Neeson's in uh, Skyrim, though. Is he? I, pl- I have sure. not played Skyrim yet. I'm oh, okay. still modding it, and that right. takes so long that. I've still yet to get around it. Um, but Sean Bean is also in Oblivion. Yeah, I think that's maybe who I was thinking of. Yeah. But, uh, and he doesn't die in the first five minutes? He, he dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's lasting longer than Sean Bean usually yeah, does. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really fascinating. Like the same way that books exist as objects in the physical world. It makes so much sense that in these virtual worlds we build for ourselves that they would exist as, yeah, as integrated objects there. Yeah. So 
This process of of modding specifically with these sort of books that are fan created, how does that work? Like, do people um, bundle the fan created books in some way and then upload them, and you can download sort of a section to the library in your mod of the game? Or well, it depends on how the author of the mod wants to do it. Um, the, that Oblivion mod that I was talking about, all the books are bundled into one file Mm -hmm. um the i could go into like describing how the mod like tools work whatever but basically it's like the elder scrolls games have like a set like file type that that all the mods are can be bundled into okay and basically you can just like put that in like a rar or a zip file and just upload it to um the biggest um website is the nexus it's like a site for like it for mods for a whole large set of games, but all of hmm. the Elder Scrolls ones too. But Are they interchangeable at all between different games? Um, no. no. Okay. Yeah, they have to be for the specific the specific um, title. So open, but not that open. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be nice if if you could do that, but like so many different games use different file types and right. structures, mm-hmm. and it, it's really complicated now because a lot of games don't want you to mod their files mm-hmm. so it lets i do have to give points to bethesda for actually providing the modding tools because like yeah. even like dragon age origins they did bioware did provide the modding tools but they did not provide those tools for dragon age 2 and oh, i okay. doubt that they're going to do that for dragon age 3 wow. so which is interesting because i mean in a lot of ways, allowing those sorts of user modifications to games is riding the wave of everything that's happening right now. I mean, I've got open mm-hmm. data on the brain because of mm-hmm. data camps so recently, but it's really the, the same set of issues across any kind of data, whether it's within a game or in a library or government data or whatever. It's how open are we willing to make this? Yeah, Walling how Gardens much is... are we willing to let people play with it and change it in ways that might surprise us? Yeah, yeah Walling Gardens is becoming a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, you'd think it would help. I mean, it does help um, prolong the life of a video game, too, because people are yeah. still playing like Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2, which <laughs> are, from, are awesome games. Yeah. Which are, you know, they're from like the mid to late 90s. Yeah. And people are still playing them because they can mod them. Yeah. And same with like Neverwinter Nights and Neverwinter Nights 2 and like all of those. Like the so video games, games really sort of anticipated crowdsourcing because in a, in a sense yeah. that's what this is, right? You're like, I want new shit in my game. I'm going to go take it from other users who've made it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's like so many different things you can do when you have the modding tools, like not even just um, adding a new campaign, which which are like the like Baldur's Gate you could do. But like for the Elder Scrolls, you can create whole new worlds. You can somebody somebody for Oblivion, they made a mod called Nerim, which is like making a whole nother game separate from oblivion using the oblivion engine Mm -hmm. which they made completely through the modding tools yeah so i mean there's like so much like really interesting stuff you can do with modding Hmm. tools and i really wish more video game developers or the publishers really it's probably more their call than the developers Mm -hmm. right now i really wish they would like actually see all of like the really neat stuff you can do Mm -hmm. with um modding tools yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of potential there, but you have to be a forward-looking developer yeah. to sort of notice mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. Which is inherent in the word developer, and yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what I'm thinking about um, 
in terms of this video games as a new narrative format and, um, you know, video games is kind of a continuation of the book, which is already obviously a very popular medium. Um, I'm kind of wondering, how do we get over some of the attitudes that people have towards video games now? Because I think some attitudes are changing. Um, I think a lot more people are playing games, especially with kind of um, the kind of casual gaming stuff that's coming in. They're not quite as maligned as they used to be. But um, I'm just wondering if you have any ideas about how we can convince um, people who aren't gamers in the sort of traditional RPG, long form, novella-like form of video games. How can we convince them to to try them out? As do you, Can you think of any kind of gateway games that would help people... Uh, find themselves in a more receptive place toward a new narrative form of video gaming? Uh, that's a really interesting idea. I hadn't really thought of that before. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, I mean, more and more libraries are starting to add video games to their shelves, which is really neat. And um, some of them even have like programs to bring teenagers in to play video games in sort of a safe space and utilize the library more. But again, it's more geared towards teenagers, and there is still this stigma towards people who play video games. Um, it's, it's still kind of seen by some as sort of childish, and, you know, I it's, um, you know, that was something I played when I was like 12 or 14, and not something that I should play when I'm 35. And Yeah, which, I mean, is the way that a lot of new narrative forms are often received, right? You think about the novel and it was very much a form for the uneducated and for children and for women, quote unquote, uh, when it first became a way of telling stories, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's the, yet there has to be some kind of like shift to take place. And I think I'm not sure if casual gaming is really that, where that shift is going to take place. I mean, it might, um, but a lot of casual games are still kind of those like Candy Crush Saga <laughs> or like some cheap watered down like Assassin's Creed game. I am so far deep in Candy Crush. It's like not even funny. <laughs> but not Quasi Cupcakes. <laughs> I'm thinking too, though, that libraries, I mean, that's a good space for libraries to step into because yeah. really... We have book clubs. Why can't we have video game clubs where adults or whoever is interested in exploring this sort of new narrative, new way of telling stories, new way of telling stories within stories in terms of the future of the book stuff we've been talking about, come in once a month and play and discuss and take things home and whatever, right? And it would even be, I think that would also be a really interesting space to even maybe have tabletop gaming going on and coinciding with that um, it, and, of course, you also get into the issue of how much it costs to have a console or a PC. And, yeah. I mean, that that's another good um, way for the library to step in and provide some of, some of um, that technology. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's different kinds of games on the PC versus, like, a console. But I think, I think console RPGs are probably a good, a good um, stepping in point, if not tabletop RPGs hmm. themselves. Um, very low-tech requirements yeah. for those. Um, but yeah, I think that would be 
It would be an interesting reader's advisory project. Yeah, definitely. Come up with some, you know, reading lists and pamphlets to sit at the front register about games to check out. Yeah. I mean, I guess my last question, maybe, especially in light of the research that you did for this project, is in terms of these kind of internal texts or texts within texts sort of situations that... um, that electronic media allow us to do, right? That you're in a game and then you can read a text inside that game and get more depth in that world. Did you see anything that indicated that that might be a mechanism for reading or interacting with texts outside of games? That that might be used elsewhere on websites or in libraries or in electronic books even? Um, I'm just thinking there's a lot of potential there to that mechanism. It makes total sense to have it in a game like Elder Scrolls, but it could probably exist elsewhere too. Yeah, I, yeah. Because I haven't really thought about that either. It's interesting well, to look at. I know I know of one graduate English project that um, kind of followed the idea of hypertext and was looking at hypertext in a creative format way. Um, but I know that the problem with that thesis is that it was written a very long time ago, <laughs> and it was held on floppy disks. So yeah. they're gone. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. <laughs> Not the most uh, sustainable of media, those old floppy disks. But maybe that means it's time to to revisit it. It would be interesting to put some feelers out to our listeners out there or to, you know, just general sort of discussions happening online in the library community about other ways to, I mean, like you're saying, yeah. there are all these new ways to follow a narrative to interact with a narrative and video games are opening that up. And maybe as they lose that stigma, those mechanisms will migrate to other forms. Yeah, of course. And hopefully I would, that'd be so, it'd be really cool if this actually sparked some research project, this discussion. (laughs) All right. um, Go for it. Any of you academics out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Looking for a PhD project? We can help. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for joining us, Mitchell, and for telling us about yeah this research, which sounds like, in a lot of ways, is still pretty groundbreaking, yeah. right? Because there's not a lot out there. And really, um, most of this, I was just kind of um, was daydreaming in class and was thinking about, you know, one of the, my first thoughts was, you know, we're always talking about video games and libraries, but what if we thought about the portrayal of libraries and video games? And so, yeah. Hey, that's how great ideas start, right? Building on each other. Yeah, and I think that that, that's kind of an interesting um, thing, too, as we were talking about the the e-book and the future of the book is the e-book because it's a format issue, where I think it'd also be interesting to talk about video games and libraries as more than a uh, hardware issue or a software issue, but as an issue of how do we arrange programming that is a little bit more in depth and does look at the story of the games rather than just you know giving giving people the opportunity it's becoming that because we talked last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago about data camp and how the library should be becoming a kitchen instead of a a grocery store um 
And I think this is a theme that we're going to be talking about a lot because it's such a beautiful metaphor. And I think that if, if for video games, if the library is to become kind of a kitchen of video games, it's not just going to be because it's going to be a place where people can access the games and the gaming equipment, but a place where people can talk about making games and game, uh, game mechanics and not just video games, but how, how to better create a tabletop gaming experience, how to create a board game. Um, and I think incorporating board games into the kind of maker space, oeuvre that is kind of encompassing the library would be a really great um a great place to be as well mm-hmm. for sure so yeah thanks again so much for coming on the show mitchell thanks for having me what an awesome conversation yeah i'm so glad that so mitchell was able mitchell to mitchell was able to to come on mm-hmm. and talk about something i love it when we get people I mean, one of the things I've loved about this whole experience is getting people to talk about things that they are super passionate about. Yeah. And yeah. It's, uh, it's just so great to see what people are interested in and what they want to talk about and all this, all this kind of stuff. So it was and really... It, it really just like yet again shows that starting this podcast while we were in library school was a super good idea because yeah. we have access to so many interesting people with yeah. so many diverse perspectives on yeah. things. Yeah. So again, thanks so much to Mitchell uh, for coming on the show. And uh, what else have we got going on, Sam? Uh, yeah, so we've got a few updates for you. Um, Twitter, we had a bit of an upsurge this yeah. past week. Uh, so amazing. we're looking at 170 followers now. So welcome <laughs> aboard, uh, yeah. new folks. We hope you're enjoying having discovered the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, please let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover or topics you think might be interesting or if mm-hmm. you're interested in coming on the show. Totally. We want to hear from you for sure. Um, Tumblr, we are steadily moving up. We're at 284. <laughs> and as always, it's an awesome community to be part of. Yep. New new and interesting library information all the time. And I'm definitely um, using the fact that I'm part of the Tumblrian community as part of my whole, I'm hooked up in my applications <laughs> and cover letters. <laughs> so that's been an awesome thing to be able to do too. I'd love to be able to boast that but people follow the ss librarianship tumblr more than they follow my personal <laughs> tumblr so uh so they can just uh you know that's fine i don't i don't need that it's the quality of your followers yes that's true that's, that's all true. about and uh, you had something particular you wanted to talk about sam something that i was not familiar with but uh, yeah, so in the vein of social media i just wanted to do uh, a shout out and a sort of rest in peace to um television without pity which mm-hmm. those of you who know what it is will know why i'm sad because it is going away after this week um my advice to you would be if you are a television without, television without pity aficionado uh go and download your favorite recaps download as many of them as you can before for, for future reference and maybe also for a future crowdsourced archive because the information I've been able to glean uh, from talking to people and reading articles sounds like NBC is not going to make the archive public, which Mm -hmm. I think is a real shame. That's, you know, 15 years of television history, of journalism history, of this sort of snarky but loving assessment of TV. I mean, the the byline at television without pity was always spare the snark, spoil the networks. Yeah. And it's silencing that kind of criticism is not cool. Even if it's, Mm -hmm. you know, in its, in its twilight years, keeping the archive public would have been an amazing thing. And I hope that they changed their mind about that. So that's my little piece. So go check out television (laughs) without pity before April 4th while you still can. (laughs) And my last little bit is um, if you are in the Vancouver area on April the 2nd, this Wednesday, um, we would love to see you at our SS librarianship meetup. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming into town, if you're not in the Vancouver area, you're coming into town for BCLA, um, we would love to see you. We do have an event bright that we would 
really appreciate it if you would just um, uh, send a quick drop on there, just so we know sort of numbers, so that we're not all storming the pub at the same time and yeah, expanding and we- <laughs> a really large table. With yeah, um, and we've linked to that on Twitter and Tumblr, but we'll also throw the link to the Eventbrite in the show notes for yep. today's episode, so you can find them there at the top of the site. And we'd love to see you. We'd love to shake your hand and. Uh, buy a button yeah so we'll have buttons for sale and also um anyone who's been on the show before we finally have your little piece of swag (laughs) to show that you were on the show (laughs) that we promised you it's really here yeah so um (laughs) keep an eye out in the next couple of weeks maybe if you don't live in the vancouver area and you really really want a button uh we will be setting up the possibility to uh to set that up so I guess yeah, that's so it. I guess uh, all that's left is to thank Jonathan Colton, oh, as always. always, for the use of our theme song, Glasses, off the album Artificial Heart, which we use under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial license. Yeah. Meaning that if these buttons somehow make us billionaires, we're hey. going to have to get in touch with Jonathan Colton and that's entirely true. work some shit out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's up all for us this week, guys. And as always, we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. Yeah.